Uh, I'm Aaron Schatz with Football Outsiders. Hello, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream week 17 Ask Us Anything show with Mike Tanier and Robert Weintraub. And we are here to talk all things NFL. And uh, let's get, yeah, let's talk about all things NFL and get you ready for the weekend. And thank everybody who's watching us. As you know, we're on at one o'clock weekdays on uh, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, in the widget in the corner of our site. You can watch any of those ways. And the nice thing about watching live at one o'clock Eastern is that you can ask us questions live and we'll have a little comments displaying with people's questions. And uh, <laughs> you are also listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders podcast network. And please remember to subscribe and get all of our shows. So... Uh, we should start by talking about the late, great John Madden, because yes. the news came in last night that John Madden passed away at the age of 85. Obviously, you know, what I said on Twitter was just I would like to agree with what everybody has said, because, you know, everybody said wonderful things about the fact is that for many of us growing up, he was the person who when we watched the NFL, that was the voice of the NFL to us was Pat Summerall and John Madden all the time. And. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. he was also a great Hall of Fame coach for the Oakland Raiders and, of course, the influence on the Madden video game where, I mean, I think video game football would have become big no matter what. But the important thing about Madden's influence on the video game is that when they first came to him in 1990 to do the video game for Apple 2Cs or whatever, <laughs> he was adamant. I am not putting my name on a video game unless it is 11 on 11 football. And I yeah. think... There had never been 11-on-11 football in a video game until the original Madden. So, I mean, the fact is, without John Madden's, eventually, video game football would have been what we know of it today in the same way that NBA, you know, is very realistic and NHL is very realistic and baseball is very realistic. But the early days, it was Madden who made those early, like those 90s Madden games so realistic. Plus, we all have memories of the Ask Madden feature where he would tell you to run some play and you would run some other play. <laughs> and here's another thing, especially pertinent to what we do. A lot of people discovered that you should go for it on fourth down. Very much so. Playing Madden. In fact, Madden was would, gave interviews where he was concerned about the fact that he would watch people play and the final score would be like 71 to 63. And, you know, he when his involvement, he wanted a very realistic game. And what's going on? He'd watch them play. And they're go not only are they going for it on fourth and one, fourth and two, but it was practically a never punting situation. It's and <laughs> rubber, they put rubber band mechanics in so that on fourth down, players were nerfed a little bit. Yeah. But even after the nerfing, most people realize, well, on fourth and two, just go for it. So in the background, I mean, of, of analytics and everything else like this, this was almost like the first sim to demonstrate what you know, we still talk about every week that going for it on fourth down is a, is a op possibly an optimal strategy in the NFL. It's ironic because one of the video clips that's going around a lot this morning on Twitter is of Barry Switzer uh, in 1995 going for it on fourth and one from his own 29 against the Philadelphia Eagles and Madden just twice, yeah, twice, right? The first one was canceled because the two minute warning, and then they did it again, and they got stuffed twice, and Madden is apoplectic so <laughs> upset and in retrospect using modern simulations we can see that switzer 
absolutely made the right decision, especially right. considering that he was running one of the great running backs behind one of the greatest offensive yep. lines ever assembled. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting to think about what Madden's reaction would be to sort of the modern fourth down revolution when he is partially responsible for the modern fourth yes. down revolution because of the effect of people growing up playing Madden and learning that you should go for it on fourth and one and fourth and two. Well, do you remember in the Super Bowl, I believe it was the uh, Patriots Panther Super Bowl, where he was criticizing Belichick for trying to get down the field for with 50 it was seconds left? Against the Rams. It was the Rams. Actually. First, one, yeah. first the Rams. Patriots Super Bowl. He said, yeah. you know, basically the Patriots are really lucky that they it's 17-17. They should kneel and just go kneel to out. overtime, overtime. And, okay. and not try to make it downfield with this second-year quarterback. And instead – but he recanted at the end of that. He's like, I was really wrong on that. I didn't recognize they were going to be able to do this, this, and this. He sort of talked about his mistake, yes. which is, um, again, you you don't nowadays you don't hear that, like that admittance of an error. And he just very calmly talked about, well, I had that one wrong, da 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 da. Very. Open we should also argument. mention that. Sorry, we should also mention that you know he was not just a video game pioneer and a great broadcaster, but a Hall of Fame coach too. I mean, I don't go back game. quite to remember seeing him too much as a Raiders coach, but. Uh, you know, this is somebody who is, you know, even if he had never gone into the broadcast booth or put his name on a video game, probably is in the Hall of Fame just as, for his right. sideline uh, work. And, you know, as a guy who competed against the legendary Steeler and Dolphins teams of the 70s, came right. up really short a lot of famous games and uh, finally broke through. And that's one of certainly the, the, uh, one of the iconic moments. And I know from talking to people who knew him, uh, I only got to meet him one time briefly, but uh, hmm. I did interview several people who knew him and they said, you know, that that Super Bowl that he finally won in 76 was just, you know, such an important moment for him. It, it validated so much of what he had done. And, you know, uh, after coming up so agonized, short, immaculate reception game, among others, um, you know, he, he finally got the chance to get carried off the field. And that's why he was he was really emotional as a broadcaster doing Super Bowls whenever he would see uh, the winning coach get you know, kind of carried off the field by his by his players. And that was a big reason why he really related to that. And he was created imparting that kind of emotion to uh, to the fans at home. So, you know, obviously a, a Mount Rushmore figure in the game, along with, you know, Stephen Ed Sable and Paul Brown and those kind of people, he, he did it in so many different ways. And uh, we shouldn't forget his fine uh, accomplishments as well. Joey Sucks points out Madden had a way of being in a high leverage, high profile job, and he was still a real human being with a goofy dad vibe. <laughs> Just think about how you would not know what a turducken is today if not for John Madden. Right for the for the best on your stomach, you're right. They didn't <laughs> and uh, off by illustrating that Troy Aikman couldn't grow a beard and all the other clips that have been sent around the internet today. Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, the funny, it's people talk about the voice of Madden in their head. I, for me, it's the voice of Summerall that I hear right. every penalty. Like every penalty in the NFL, there's a voice that goes off in my head that's Pat Summerall from the early Madden video games going, flag on the play. <laughs> but, and and yeah. he was on Golden Tee Golf, too, Summerall. So he would really come in. And I, the Golden Tee, I, I spent some time in bars. Uh, I would have Summerall's voice, but it blew my mind when I found out that Summerall was a player. I knew that all along, but yeah. yeah. Because think about today. The fact is that today there is a pretty clear dichotomy between your play-by-play -play guys and your color analysts. Your right. color analysts are your former players and coaches. 
your play-by-play guys are all journalism lifers. Yeah. Right? But in the early days, there were a number of play-by-play guys who had actually been players first. Right. And then became play-by-play guys, not like um, the the Monday Night Football trio. Um, Gifford, of course. When it was uh, Gifford, Meredith, and uh, Cosell, right? Like Gifford was basically the play-by-play guy, even though he was a player. And I... When I found out that Summerall had been a player, I was like, wow. There were times when it sounded like famous kicks in NFL history. Yeah. There were times when it sounded like he forgot he was a player, though, when he was in there. Uh, Madden would turn him, what's going through a kicker's mind on something like this, Pat? Man, I don't know what they do nowadays. He would just completely defer from it. When I was a kicker back in the old day, we'd put the straight on foot. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he, sometimes forgot, he was, uh, it, sometimes he forgot he was a play by play man, too. He was so spare, but of course, that's what was genius about Summerall. And I think of him mainly as anytime I see a network promo because of the famous way he pronounced coming up after the game 60 minutes and then murder. She wrote, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah, he was, he was very good. So, you know, I'll make a confession here. You guys are talking about how you know him mainly from the video game. I have never played a real game, a full game of Madden NFL football. I believe that I'm a, I'm a stratomatic guy, more of a board game guy. I don't like the video games because I feel like you know the realistic quote unquote uh actions of the players are too much determined by opposable thumbs. And, uh, you know, I, I never really took to it as much. You you, know, people play it. My you son can do a play. mode where you call the plays, but it just acts them out. Yeah. But nobody plays that way. No. Yeah, exactly. I always just preferred, you know, to do a tabletop style. But, uh, of course, that's doesn't, you know, just because I'm the one NFL guy he didn't reach with his video game doesn't mean that he didn't have a uh, – a huge impression with that, of course, but uh, you know, you say you know Summerall from calling on the video game more than you do, you know, the telecasts. It's funny. Uh, growing up in New York, you know, we obviously got Summerall and Madden all the time. I was wondering about that for you, Aaron, in Boston. How much you saw the the CBS crew and the, the NFC crews? Uh, if you saw them quite as much, because we got every them with every giant game. It felt, uh, felt well, like. Well, we get well. F- f- so. Um... You know, obviously you get both CBS and yeah. NBC back when NBC was the AFC and CBS was the NFC. And there were still Giants fans in the area, yeah, old true. men from before the Patriots existence, right. when the New York Giants were the team of New England. And it's mm-hmm. until a couple years ago, they would constantly feed us Giants games. Hmm. Like, even in the last couple of decades, like, once the NFC went to Fox, like, the Giants were basically the default team for New England. It's really only since Tom Brady went to Tampa, and now Tampa Bay is basically the default team for New England. Because there are not many of those guys left from before 1960. I don't think we're going back to getting Giants games all the time. But growing up, like, if the CBS could go with the Giants game, they went with the Giants game. Right. So we yeah. saw plenty of Summerall and Madden calling Phil Sims around here. Got it. Wow. Cool. Yeah, in the 70s, the Giants played a couple games in Connecticut. I think they were still trying to, right. like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, while the Giants stadium was being built, if they played in the Yale Bowl, uh, for That's sure. Right. And, you know, they, they obviously have a huge presence in, in southern New England, for sure. I don't know how big they are in Maine, particularly, but the, they definitely are. Uh, are well, at this point, it's just old. I mean, and there's there's very few guys left. But, you know, 
15 and 20 years ago, there were plenty of guys left from before the Patriots existed yeah, or from the yeah. early years of the Patriots when it was like the AFL. Or like, I'm still rooting <laughs> NFL, man. And those were hardcore Giants fans, like not just in Connecticut, but even in Boston all the way up to Maine, hardcore yeah. Giants people. Like when 2007 happened, there were still a lot of Giants fans around this area. Huh. Uh, by this point, there are not. Right. But the fifth you know, column. years ago, there still were. <laughs> Traitors in your midst. I understand. Just wanted to show off my Stratomatic card there since you were mad. Uh, yeah, I know. That's, that's yes. Very it's it's a baseball card. too. I have baseball cards around I, here too. My football yeah. is very tough. I've never played Stratomatic football. Mm. I own Stratomatic baseball and basketball because oh, in, I high, played school, basketball. in high school, I was a bigger basketball fan than a football fan. So I've never actually played Stratomatic or APBA football. I've never played a table game football. I've only done baseball yeah, and basketball. Yeah. Gun to my head, Stratomatic hockey is actually my favorite. But, you know, really? It's, it's a whole other story. Never yeah, tried that one. It's great. It's, uh, yeah. I'm a big hockey guy from, from long ago, but that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, then Stratomatic is good. I actually used to love a game called Six Points, which was college football, and it was hmm. very clean and easy to use and uh, went long by the wayside. And then one day surfing the internet, last year during the pandemic, I just happened upon some message board where a guy was making old Six Points teams, uh, right. Six Points styles, but with modern teams. And the first team he did was the 2019 LSU Tigers, led by one Joe Burrow, of course, uh, <laughs> a man close to my own heart. And I downloaded it, and I uh, downloaded a handful of other teams, uh, legendary teams that he had done, and, and played 20 LSU against all these sort of, you know, famous teams from college football history. And needless to say, Burrow lit them up the way he did the Ravens on Sunday. Uh, I don't know if well, I interesting. I was curious whether that was from the same company that did like like status pro baseball and stuff, but it's not. It's from no, that was some random company that I've just never heard weird, of. Yeah. I, I think it was a former employee who just broke away and did his own thing or something. I don't know. It was it was yeah. very random, and I don't remember how, how I stumbled across it as a kid. Uh, I'm glad I did, and all these years later, I still remembered it and, and stumbled across it again <laughs> completely randomly. It's trying uh, to explain to kids today about the board games. You know, when we grew up, we didn't have, you know, when I was 12, 13, the only video game football, you know, we had Atari where there were three players or in television where there were five. Like the, like the importance of those board games or for right. baseball, the same thing where like in television couldn't really differentiate between a fly ball and a ground ball. Like, right. I mean, I the value of Stratomatic and I've status pro, I had a, a neighbor who had status pro baseball in 1978. So like mm -hmm. I knew, I knew so much about the 1978 baseball season. <laughs> what a great season. As a Yankee fan, I can say that. Uh, That's Bucky yeah. Dent, I mean, right? Is that Bucky Dent? That is it was Bucky Dodgers because I grew up in California, so the Dodgers were the team we played all the time from 78. But Yeah, there's also a game called All-Star Ball where you spun a little dial. Oh, we did that, like yeah. That. That was a great one too. <laughs> and it was all seventies guys, and like the home run was this yeah. big on the circle. Exactly. And yeah. had, like, I remember not Barry, but Bobby Bonds had like yes. a, this strikeout. size of home run. Yeah, strikeout half his thing and home run half his thing, and it was. I, I feel like now. I feel like with all the memories of Matt, I feel like I should break out my old Genesis and put in Matt in '96 <laughs> or one of those old games that had more Madden yeah. in, like more of actually of Madden in them. Right, like the new games, his name is on it, but the last few years there's been nothing about Madden in the game at all. And like uh, the old games, like 
Madden's picture was all over them. And then you would do the ask Madden feature for what play to run. And they'd have the all Madden team as the all-star team. And like the early days of Madden were much more Madden-y. Right. And his voice was in it and Summerall's voice was in it. And then they switched yeah. to Bill Sims, which you have to do for more modern people here at all. But yeah, it was a immersive Madden experience. And there, were, it, it was fun. There were money plays. There were things like that. It was like, I think video gaming grew up to a degree at that point. I, I mean, again, like you said, football games would be more sophisticated and people our age would be playing video games because we grew up with them. But I think it was a change in how they were uh, perceived as something serious, more than greasy kid stuff. You had somebody like John Madden putting his imprint and his information into the game. All right, hopefully we haven't lost all the younger people with all of our memories <laughs> of the... Uh, we haven't even talked about Miller. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jmolnar94 believes the new Madden games are brutal because the freemium uh, pricing option of Madden Ultimate Team has ruined it. It's hard for me to criticize Madden Ultimate Team when we were involved in Madden and Ultimate Team for a few years. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we no longer are, but it was a lot of fun having Football Outsiders cards in Madden Ultimate Team, not to mention the two years where I was actually in the game. Yeah, uh, as one of the um, one of the fake press people in franchise <laughs> mode who would comment on your team, <laughs> like I was actually in the game for two right. years. Right. Um, so it's hard, you know. I I have a fondness for recent, not recent Maddens, but I have a fondness for Madden for like five or six years ago. Yeah, I had to stop playing a few years ago because it was another thing that was too much like work. I did that. <laughs> writing and everything. I was like, let me put a Madden on. It's like, I'm going to play NBA 2K instead because I don't, uh, my basketball brain is still, it still feels free. Scott but, Meredith says, says yeah. I remember reading an interview with Madden in Sport Magazine in the 80s. I always thought the quarterback should call the plays, not the coach. That's news to Jared Goff. I don't know any quarterback <laughs> in the NFL today who calls his own plays in anything other than the two minute drill. Right. Do you think coaches are too much of control freaks to allow that, or does it really only work yeah. for older quarterbacks? Rob, you have what were you saying? Well, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I think Ken Stabler was probably the last guy who did it. You know, worked for him. Just Jim Kelly him. did. Didn't Jim Kelly call his yeah, own plays? I, I mean, with Stabler, it was more like, could he even remember his own name after up on him? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Paul Brown started the uh, the idea of sending in the plays from the sidelines that so goes back pre pre madness. But uh, yeah, there's no doubt the coaches. The last thing they want to do is is leave their precious game plans up to some Yahoo playing quarterback. I don't care how good he is, you know. That's that that time has long since passed. But it's good that that shows you Madden had his you know sort of one foot in old school, one foot in new school, and that's what that's what made him such a transcendent figure. Right. Uh, Jamal Far says Big Ben has called his own plays since 2018. Does he or Canada doesn't call the plays? Uh, unless they want to criticize somebody, team. then Canada calls the plays. And yeah. usually, I mean, it's why well, you've gone downhill. <laughs> <laughs> the veterans often have like that sampler platter from the game plan to work from yeah, and have leeway, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I mean, you know, the more veteran you are as a quarterback, the more you have the right to change the play at the line. Right. Certainly. I've certainly Big Ben probably has wide leeway to audible because right. he has too much experience. But I'm pretty sure Matt Canada is sending in the plays. He may send in two. Right. And then Big Ben has to decide at the line which of the plays to run. But Canada is calling the plays. 
Yeah. Right. And Randy Beichner last year was running out of town because of the plays he was calling. So it wasn't because, you know, Big Ben was changing him all the time. It's because of what the play right. calls. But I mean, there are some quarterbacks who don't have as much, you know, of course. it's not just controlling of calling the plays. It's they don't have the leeway to audible the way that right. a guy like Big Ben or Brady does. Yeah. Right. And, well, after, and I think, go ahead. I was just going to say it's probably for the best in a lot of cases, you know, that these guys are audible into something that would immediately get get diagnosed and, and creamed. So we're talking about, uh, yeah, and once you have an advanced degree in quarterback play, you've earned that right, guys who have been around a long time. But the uh, And some of the younger players, uh, like Joe Burrow, we might have that opportunity to do so as well. But, I mean, for the most part, yeah, it's a longevity he, thing. It's an experience thing. He does a lot of audibling. Burrow does a lot of audibling, at least with my perception, right? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that is just, it's, you know, it's either side of the play, the strong side versus weak side, or it's, you know, pass versus run, depending on the look. And like Aaron said, there's a lot of run pass options, not run pass options within the play itself. He's not doing a lot of mesh point stuff necessarily, but he has either a run or a pass in his, in, uh, in his headset coming up to the line. And then depending on, you know, number of defenders in the box or whether they're playing zone or man, whatever, he can obviously check out and go to the better play. We should uh, take a couple of the the questions since as long as we're talking here about quarterbacks, uh, we uh, questions we got before the show, one of them from Joey Sucks was, is Russ cooked? <laughs> so we'll take that as our first question. Don't forget, you can ask us plenty of questions live right now in the discussion if you're watching live on YouTube or on Twitch. But uh, yeah, the question was, is Russ cooked? And I will be honest to start the discussion I, that I am not a quarterback scout. Right. And so I would have a hard time watching Russell Wilson and determining from his like footwork or his mechanics you know, is the finger still affecting him or is he cooked? Has, are his mechanics bad? What I will say is the arm strength is clearly still there because the, the weird part of the Seahawks offense is that they are better in DVOA than they probably should be because yeah. they come out as efficient because they either go three and out or he launches some deep bomb to Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. Right. So the arm is still there. So I feel like what needs to come back is the decision-making and accuracy on the short throws. And I feel like it would be easier to get that back than it is to get the deep pass. If you lose the deep pass, it's not coming back. Right. But I think it's easier, it would be easier for Russell Wilson to get back his short accuracy. Right. And I think he still moves very well. I think he can still run pretty well, run in the pocket. He hasn't run very much at all anymore, but it doesn't look like he's lost that. He, he threw 40 touchdown passes last year also. Let's keep keep that in mind. Yeah, I was going to say, Pe Peak One says, Carroll and Wilson's success has always relied, depended upon a reliable running game, something he has not had since Lynch retired. That's not really true. Right. Wilson has had some very strong years since Lynch retired, like very strong. Like I can – open it up, but I think he's had years where he was like second or third in passing DVOA since Lynch left Seattle. Um, so as, as much as, you know, Carroll believes that that's what it's based on, like, and they still ran the ball a lot, it, it didn't necessarily, it hasn't necessarily been that much less reliable, and the passing game has been great until this year, until he came back from the finger injury and it's been terrible. I think We're the question is, does it. Joey suck, not is Russell Cook? No. Uh, <laughs> is this the year that Russ finally gets an MVP vote, by the way? 
I know we were talking no. about the last era. It's not going to happen, right? Uh, just from from what I've seen, and I, I'm with you in that, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself a quarterback scout, and I haven't seen a ton of their games in completion. But just what it seems to me is clearly he came back a little too soon from his injury to try and rescue the season. There's uh, some dissension in the building. I think there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of passive-aggressive work on on both Russell Wilson's and Pete Carroll's part, but especially with Wilson, you know, he's like kind of, I'm going to come back and save this team from themselves. So he couldn't do it. And now he's kind of like, yeah, we'll just play this thing out and see how it goes. We don't have the horses to do anything anyway. So uh, I don't think he's giving max effort. I think if he were to be traded, that would be a mistake, I think, from Seattle's point of view. But I, I don't think Russ would have any problem with that. And I think whatever team would like to get him next year would be, certainly thrilled to have him. I don't want him in the AFC North and Pittsburgh or Cleveland. I can tell you that right now. To me, he's got plenty left. As you can as you said, Aaron, he throws deep, you know, still one of the best deep throwers in the league. Uh, and, you know, whether he has some things to clean up or not, not really the problem to me. He's still, he's still a top flight quarterback and he's just having the circumstantially a bad year. That's all. No number three receiver. Not a system that uses the number three receiver. Kind of an okay tight end in Vera. Not a system that does a lot creatively with that. Backs, from what I see of the backs in the in the passing game, it's all screen and stuff like that. Yes, there's screen. not there's not like a, a lot of the things that we we support a deep passing game and a power running game with around. There's not like this robust screen game and and and, and other things like that. So, I mean, I think there are system issues as well that are hampering Wilson, including like as well as like you said. I don't know if the fingers 100. percent With all due respect to Pete Carroll and John Schneider, who I think that I believe have done a better job than most of analytics Twitter believes. You know, you know, we can criticize Carroll for being conservative on fourth downs, but there's lots of things he does well, both when it comes to scheming, but also like player um, motivation. Uh, I think it's time for a restart in Seattle. You know, I think it's sort of run its course. I, it's interesting, Rob, you said it, you don't think it's a good idea to, to trade Russell Wilson. I think it's at least worth considering to start fresh, although you you would have to understand that you'd be taking a, a year or two of being bad, and that yeah. there aren't a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft that you could draft to replace him. Yeah, and I, I certainly think it, it makes more sense to get a new GM and head coach and keep Wilson, right? And to That's keep the I'm GM thinking. and head coach and trade away Wilson. Yeah, I mean, it's just are you going to get somebody better? I mean, it seems like. You know, the easy answer, trade Wilson, get those draft picks that you uh, threw away for Jamal Adams back and start afresh. And I'm, I'm certainly for rebooting in, in some capacity there. But that would mean, I mean, what are the odds that you're going to get anybody even light years close to as good as Russell Wilson? Is? Yeah, I guess that's true. You can reboot the coaching and the GIA and not reboot the quarterback. Keep the yeah. quarter, you know, and, you know, because he's not like you would be aiming for 2023 or 2024, but it's not like Russell should be cooked by 2023. Right. He should still be good, bounce be. back from this year, assuming he does bounce back from this year. So, yeah, I and think the coach is, And the coach yeah, is I mean, interviewing wants Russell Wilson. The coach that's interviewing wants to work with Russell exactly. Wilson. Exactly. He's exactly. part of a two year rebuild, unless they're a weirdo like, you know, Hugh Jackson, who just wants to be have an excuse to stink. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> he's a, uh, a grambling now. Uh, Pete, uh, Pete to me is, and speaking of the Bengals and and Hugh, you got you got a lot of Marvin Will, uh, Lewis vibes coming off of Pete right now, just in terms of he's just been there too long and don't don't make the mistake the Bengals did, which was keep Lewis two three extra seasons too long, 
when you had the chance to, you know, get a new a new voice in there. You can just do it. There's nothing against Pete Carroll. He's had a great career, and I think he still has coaching left in him. But, you know, there just comes a point with, obviously, Bill Belichick being the uh, exception to the rule. You know, guys just reach a point of, of you know, diminishing returns in a certain job, and people just tune him out, and his message has been lost. And, you know, he can go somewhere else and, and do well, and they can get somebody else in there and, and revitalize that team. And when you do, you want to have a player like Russell Wilson to, to lead you, I think. Right. Jay Molnar asks, which of the cheap free agent quarterbacks do you think have the best chance of a turnaround? Winston, Mariota, or Trubisky? Mm. Winston. Mariota will get hurt if he has to play five consecutive plays. And Trubisky is what he is, which is – I think he's going to be a capable backup. He's an okay spot starter. But I don't see him having this upside. And I think Winston probably still has a little bit of that. Yeah, Trubisky is Mariota to me. Like you know, as a relief guy, he can win you a couple mm-hmm. of games. He'll run around, make some things happen. He's not a guy who's going to be a long-term player. And Winston, obviously, of the three guys, is by far the most physically talented. He's just, you know, got to got to have that hard coaching. So you know, as long as he does, and and I think for all these guys, it's true. You know, where they wind up, who they're playing with, who's coaching them, means a lot in just the kind of turnaround, quote unquote. Uh, I, I have a soft spot for Mariota, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like he has the best chance of a turnaround, but also the best chance of getting injured and That's never playing again, right? Yeah. Like with Winston, you would feel much more comfortable going forward. Yeah. But I feel like Mariota has the highest ceiling because he brings the value of his running. And I feel like he basically had like one bad season as a passer, but before that he was pretty good. He was yeah. very, he got so banged up in so many ways. And then, that's if he's thing. doing anything yeah. except that wildcat thing, he does. They, they they try to run him out there for a sequence. He winds up out for a while. He was out for yeah. a while during training camp, and that that's the thing. It's like it's like show me you can be healthy, Marcus Mariota, and you never have. Right. LL Salerno says, "I will take Trubisky or Mariota backing up on the Giants next year when Daniel Jones gets undoubtedly hurt again." I think Trubisky is on a multi-year contract with Buffalo. So is he too. a free agent after this year? Was it just a one-year contract? I think it's a one-year contract. Um, All right. was- if I were him, I'd just stay in Buffalo, honestly. I mean, you're, you've got a, it's a good backup situation. It's a good team to come. You know, you've got weapons if you are forced to play. You've got a good shot at a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. And That's if you're Buffalo, you want to keep him situation, right? He does a the lot only, of what Josh Allen does. Unless Kansas Buffalo. City wants to sign you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one-year contract, by the way, for Trubisky, and I'm just going to point out the Giants are not going to bring in a similar Daniel Jones type prospect to compete with Daniel Jones and, and cause that that kind of mayhem in the in the building. They'll either get another <clears throat> Glennon, or they'll get an old timer in there for next year because they're going to ride or die with Jones and Judge. Judge, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the bearer of the bad news, folks. Glennon is an old timer at this point. He is an old timer. Yeah. That's what he's considered. He's considered one of those like old backup quarterbacks who could just roll out of bed and be and start if needed. <laughs> and, and suck to high heaven if needed to be. Oh, There's God. a waitress here at one of my favorite restaurants in Atlanta who wears her Mike Glennon Falcons uniform religiously on game day. I think I'd just throw that out there for Mike the Glennon one other Mike the Glennon fan. <laughs> yeah. When? Uh, who the hell knows? <laughs> I don't know for five minutes. I know he's been on a lot of teams. I didn't yeah. even realize he may have just like gone to North Carolina State and just liked him and put his name on the jersey for all I know. I don't even know, but it, it's it's astounding. That's very strange. Thought he was going to get drafted by the Falcons or something. <laughs> um, 
Todd Singer, uh, sorry, P-Funk, injuries aside, what team and what player have been most disappointing this year relative to preseason expectations? Um, I'll start by saying I don't think you can talk about teams being disappointed really without considering injuries, but I guess um, the version of the Seahawks since Wilson came back is the most yes. disappointing team. That's a very good one. Right. If you're trying to like, if you're trying to talk about healthy teams, then the, the Seahawks do kind of count as a healthy team. If you only talk about like since Wilson came back, um, what player has been most disappointing this year? I realize that he doesn't have a great quarterback situation, but he, we didn't think he had a great quarterback situation going into the year and still the expectations were much higher for Allen Robinson. Yeah, Allen Robinson has been the corpse that A.J. Green was last year, which means maybe there's a chance for Allen Robinson to bounce yeah. back a little bit if he goes somewhere else. But, I didn't think A.J. But Allen Robinson has been very disappointing. Yeah. Baker Mayfield has been very disappointing. Well, we can talk about healthy. That yeah, was well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, he hasn't been healthy. Okay, so that means he's just terrible? That means, you know, he, he's been playing. No, I mean, even when healthy. I mean, he missed yeah. a couple of games, but for the most part, he's been mostly healthy and and he's, right. Yeah, he's been disappointing. There's no he's, question. He's, he's been disappointing. They have a great offensive line there. It's a good opportunity. The receiving court is not that bad, as we see as Odell Beckham goes to a different team and is, is much more effective. So I would put him on the list. I'm, I'm going with you with the Seahawks because every team I think of, as soon as I think of them being disappointing, they've had a massive injury crunch, and that's been a big part of it, the Ravens being an obvious obvious example. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the fact is that the teams that the DVOA system had going to the playoffs who are going to miss the playoffs – are primarily teams like who did we predict were going to be good that 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 aren't right? It's primarily Ravens. teams with that like the Ravens, like yeah. lots and lots of injuries. Yeah. But the Seahawks were supposed to like we had them winning the division, and even if you take out the three Geno Smith games, they just haven't been up to that. Other than that, I mean, the only I'm trying to think like which teams you know the Saints that's an injury thing. Yeah, the Broncos have been. Their defense has been a little disappointing, but that's that's a weird thing because they haven't allowed a lot of points, but DVOA doesn't like their defense because they haven't faced a lot of drives. So efficiency-wise, their defense has been right. disappointing. But the Vikings, tough. I was going to throw the Vikings out there. I mean, I know they didn't, we didn't have them as a elite team or anything like that, but I mean, you know, they, they haven't been crushed by injuries. I mean, Cousins has played anyway. Uh, I feel like we felt they'd win between seven and nine games, and they're going to yeah, be winning so they are. between I know. seven and nine games. Because everybody else has been so injured and hit by COVID, they had an opportunity maybe to step up and do something for once, and they didn't. That's yeah. the disappointing aspect of it, you know, uh, and they're just the same old blah Vikings, you know, and then that to me is a disappointment. I, you're right. We didn't think they'd be great, hardly at all. But, uh, you know, they had their opportunity. It didn't step through at the door. The source of uh, do you, entertainment for me. Do you have a player that you particularly think has been uh, disappointing? Um, I mean, Mayfield was my my choice. And, you know, the, yes, he's been hurt. But they went out of their way to say he was healthy before the Green Bay game. And then he went out and threw four picks and lost that game virtually single-handed. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's, most cases around the league are, have been so injury-dependent if they've been disappointing that, you know, other than quarterback, there's always an excuse or a reason behind it, you know. But Mayfield, and yes, he's been banged up, no question. But uh, he's had plenty of games where he wasn't banged up. And, 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 the, and in the context of 
are they going to re-sign him to a mega contract or not? What's his next step? It's such a critical year for him. In that aspect, he's been really disappointing. And you've you know, noticed, you've noticed the messaging too. A couple of times over the last couple of weeks, the messaging. Baker Mayfield is healthier than ever. He's back before the game, kind of Don't like to try shoulders on it this time. It's all on him. Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very uh, much presented. Yes, definitely Woodward and Bernstein out there to the uh, to the public. <laughs> you know, it's it's all on Baker. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been disappointing. I, I can't say I've been upset about that as a Bengals fan, but there's no doubt uh, for number one overall pick as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you you have to take that into account as well. He's definitely been less than they than they bargained for. Todd Singer says, "Rob, what's your most favorable wild card matchup for the Bengals if they do <laughs> hold on and win?" The Boy, we're going there. Huh? We still got a long way to go to clinch this division, my friends. Uh, yeah, I, to me, be a team that already beat you in the regular season. I always like that rematch aspect. Maybe I'm. Um, I think back to 2013 when the Bengals beat the Chargers late in the season and then the chargers came back into cincinnati and bengals were much better really that year and this and laid a giant egg and lost i wouldn't mind seeing them again i know justin herbert's dangerous um but in the idea that the bengals really flushed that game away with unforced errors you know a lot of a lot of, a lot of easy uh, uh slams right into the net in that game so to speak so <laughs> i wouldn't mind seeing them again burrow versus herbert obviously is always fun and you want to see that um just in terms of an easy uh, easy win, I mean, obviously, if there was a way they could play, like, say, the Dolphins, uh, you know, or, or the Raiders again, you know, even though they beat them handily the first time, I'm not afraid of those teams. Uh, obviously, I'm not really sanguine about, let's say, playing the Colts or, or the Patriots under Belichick or, or Josh Allen. You know, all those teams are scary. But I like to think the Bengals are a team by, at last where the other teams are like, hey, you know, they – that's not an easy team to play. We don't really want any part of Cincinnati, despite their history. Uh, you know, they got a lot of explosive guys, and of course, Joe Burrow. They're they're not going to be an easy out in the playoffs either. So, you know, I did I did look up. You know, it's strange that we have them so low because most of the EPA based systems have the Bengals significantly higher than DVOA does. Yeah. DVOA still has them seventeenth, uh, but they have the last six weeks. Like, if you look at the trends, sorry, last yeah, seven weeks since week yeah. ten. They're, they've gone from 24th on offense to 9th mm. and 21st on defense to 13th. Yeah. So, and, like, there's no question that since week 10, the Bengals have been a top 10 team. Yeah, they've been right. good. And even in their losses, they've played well. And it's been, a, you know, some fluky bits here and there uh, about that, no doubt. And, you know, they just they, – they aren't efficient. They still aren't particularly efficient. Sunday notwithstanding, they were obviously very efficient passing the ball. But – you know, down to down basis, they still have issues and they have issues along their team on both sides of the ball. But, uh, you know, they can make big plays. And when you can do that and you have a quarterback you trust, you're always in these games. Um, if I may, since it's an ask me anything, I, I threw this out before the show as a teaser. Quick trivia question based on yeah. Sunday's uh, record setting route of the Ravens. As we know, Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards in the game. Uh 100, I believe 125 of those were to Jamar Chase. That gave him 326 yards this season against the Ravens in two games. Now, not only is that not a record for one receiver in two games against any single team, division rival, obviously, it's not even a Bengals record. It's not even a Bengals rookie receiver record. Who holds the rookie receiver record? And from Mike's face, he may have seen this somewhere before, but okay, go ahead. Eddie Brown. Not Eddie Brown. It's a tough, tough one, man. You're never going to get it. It's not Carl Pickens. 
It's not AJ Green. It's not even somebody you probably ever even heard of. 1969, receiving passes from FO's uh, favorite, Greg Cook. There's a guy named Speedy Thomas, a rookie named Speedy Thomas, who caught three, I think it was 332 yards in two games against Denver. This is still the AFL. Uh, And he only had 481 on the, I think, on the whole season. So those two games made up somewhere along the lines of 75, 80% of his entire year. Uh, but he had those two incredible games, and that is the Bengals' all-time rookie record for receiving yards. Who did yards. he face in those games? Denver. Like, oh, well, the Denver in the AFL. That was Denver in the AFL. I mean, you know, those, those are wide-open affairs. That was technically a football team. Yes. That was, <laughs> yes. It counts. It counts. And, uh, but Jamar is number two now. And, uh, with a bullet. Uh, there's a question here from Eric Grant about running totals for adjusted interceptions. Mm-hmm. We actually do not have running totals for adjusted interceptions. The way it works is that we get the charting data from Sports Info Solutions when the season ends. So we won't have adjusted interceptions till sometime in the postseason or the offseason. What I do have is the percentage of passes defensed that turn into interceptions, which Mm. is not quite as random as fumble recoveries, but does tend to regress towards about 20%. Roughly 20% of your passes defensed will turn into interceptions. And I will tell you, Brady is about average and Rogers is below average. 40 passes defense. This is without last week because I haven't computed it for this week yet. Mm-hmm. But through week 15, only 40 passes defensed, five interceptions. Compare that to Patrick Mahomes, 38 passes defensed, 13 interceptions. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's saying Mahomes should regress to having fewer interceptions? Is- yes. And R- Rogers theoretically should regress to having more, but there is some indication that the quarterback does have a little bit of control over this. And we know Rogers has a history of being very low in interceptions. So right, right. Uh, I do not have an actual adjusted interceptions number that like accounts for dropped interceptions and tipped by the receivers and all that stuff that we do in the off season. Right. Uh, Jay Molnar 94, which of the coaching candidates looks most interesting? It feels like Leftwich is a shoe in for the Jaguars. I will say, I think part of the reason why Leftwich makes such a good candidate for the Jaguars is that they need good press mm-hmm. and bringing back the local, you know, the guy yeah. who, who starred for you uh, to be your new head coach has a little bit of good press feeling. Right. right. I'm not sure he's a shoe. And I think they like Peterson a lot too. Yeah. I, don't I think, think Leftwich will either. also be looked at by the Raiders. Um, I'm not sure he's the perfect fit for the Bears, but like, and, and anybody would be a good fit for the Bears. Um, I think I think the Buccaneers are losing both coordinators. Yeah, I think Todd Bowles yeah. is an excellent candidate. I think Bowles. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be a reversion, not a reversion necessary, but a thought of getting former head coaches instead of untried coordinators? Uh, there's some talk around the league that uh, you know, given a Dan Quinn type gets a second chance over. Just throwing a name out there, Matt Eberflus or somebody like that. Somebody who's done it and has the CEO sort of style uh, experience rather than taking the hot coordinator this year. Do we think that that's... Well, the advantage of Todd Bowles is that he's both. He's both, of course. That's why I asked. Right? He's been a head coach and he is the hot coordinator. I I can see Jacksonville wanting the experienced coach to put the fire out of this madness. But I don't see how that would necessarily be a um, Bears... 
you know, yeah, league wide thing. Yeah, right. It's 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 not Looney Tunes there. Where it's like we better get an experienced hand. Uh, if if the Broncos move on, which I'm not sure they will, but I think they will. I I don't think that's a. They need an offensive mind, not necessarily an old an old hand in there. So it it varies from team to team. So I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a big Dan Quinn guy because it's like suddenly he goes to Dallas. Micah Parsons shows up and like he's a head coaching candidate again. That, right. that's, yeah, that's, that's a little rough. Yeah. Well, I think he's Coach Crow, as we call I think he's here. definitely a coordinator of the year candidate. Yeah, that's fine. But being a great that's, coordinator yeah, doesn't necessarily make you a different head coach. They're different um skill sets. They're different uh, skill sets. Yeah, the the um the uh the thing about the Jaguars is I think there's some discussion that they would want an offensive mind cuz you need someone to be the play caller and quarterback whisperer to bring Lawrence along, but I wonder if instead it would make sense to go the Tony Dungy route. Get a super respected defensive coach to be the CEO and to run the defense mm-hmm. and find a young offensive mind. Now, I don't know who that young offensive mind would be because it would have to be somebody who's currently a quarterback's coach or something. They're not going to grab someone who's already an offensive coordinator. But like get like Joe Barry or something to be the offensive coordinator with Todd Bowles as the head coach and use the sort of dungy uh, model. So you're going to say Joe Brady. Like, wait a minute. That's, uh, Sorry, that's what I mean. Who did I say? No, I thought you were going to say Joe Brady. You did say Joe Brady. You said Joe Barry. That was right. Months ago, oh, Joe Brady. Joe Brady. Yeah. That, that, was, that fell off the uh, the cliff, the proverbial cliff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just goes to show it's a it's a week to week league, even for the coaches. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm I'm watching a kid named Nick Sirianni here suddenly flip the script of his entire season the last couple of weeks and Amazing. totally change ways. this. I do like the idea sometimes now, now I'm coming around these younger people who are a little bit more flexible in their approach uh, and that that being a, a really good skill set for a head coach. Why not Brian Dable, who helped turn around Allen? Absolutely. Brian Dable, I think, should be a head coaching candidate. And I think Chicago is a good place for him. That's a great fit for him. I think so, too. Haven't loved his game planning this year. Have not loved his game planning. Have not loved his adjustments. I mean, I, I think he's the body of work suggests he deserves an opportunity, but like, I'm not like fire branding for Dayball this year. Well, again, I don't want guys who are really good candidates last year and then this year comes along and they're not quite as successful and all of a sudden we're like, okay, not a candidate anymore. Like, he was a candidate. He was a candidate last year. He should be a candidate this year. And I like the idea of putting him with a quarterback who's mobile like Allen. Yeah, Fields and, and Allen. I, like I mean, Lawrence can be mobile too, but he's not Justin Fields. You know who we haven't mentioned is Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you know, the yeah. sort of every year candidate who for reasons uh, I guess people have uh, has not yet. That's a good respect candidate for Jacksonville, by the way. I think that that would be a good candidate for like, let's, let's bring the respect back into, um, into this organization. Jonathan Jonathan Gannon seems a lot like Staley Eagles defense has really improved since halfway through the season. Right. They they definitely play hard for him. It doesn't look like the game plans are by no means foolish or anything like that. So uh, he's starting to get talked about. It, it feels a little premature, but um, you know, again, one of the things that you notice in Philadelphia from the beginning, we were talking about it in August, is like, like the the guys are the guys are in a good mood. The guys are coming in wanting to play, and now that's we're seeing results of that this time of year on both sides of the ball. Um, one of the questions we got before the show from Joey Sucks was, uh, is there any clear set of reasons for Arizona's late season swoon? 
Arizona with the close win over Chicago and then three losses since their bye week. They yeah. suck, Joey um, Sutz. I, I I did I did look at oh, DVOA. <laughs> their running game has basically been the same. Mm-hmm. Their run defense has actually been really good over yeah. the last four weeks. So it's it's the pass offense and the pass defense. Over the last four weeks, they've been 18th in pass offense and 22nd on pass defense in the first part of the Kyler Murray season. So weeks one to eight, they were fourth pass offense and second pass defense. So their um, their pass offense and their pass defense have gone fourth to 18th and second to 22nd. There was a Any Given Sunday article about this from last week, I think, if when they lost to Detroit, if you want to go look at that. Part of it on offense is, I mean, Murray's just not playing as well, playing faster, I think. He doesn't have Hopkins anymore to just, if the play breaks down, just throw it up to Hopkins to win a one-on-one ball. That's a big absence like Christian Kirk is talented but he's not Hopkins for drawing coverage and for being the number one receiver um pass defense I feel like it's just a little bit of reversion towards expectation I mean we we went into the season being like who the hell are these guys playing cornerback for the Arizona Cardinals and then they had a really good first half of the season but in the end they're not you know cornerback performance is somewhat inconsistent and these are not top cornerbacks that they have yeah, I agree. And you, you posted some things about the aborted snaps. This is almost historic. Now. Well, the aborted snaps thing is crazy. Like, uh, <laughs> I went back at least the last 12 years, and they have five more aborted plays than any other team in the last dozen years. Wow. Like, the missing Rodney Hudson has been a thing, and part of the reason it's been a thing is because nobody else seems to be able to snap the ball. It's ridiculous. Right. But they went through this last year, right? They they had a they had a massive uh, tail off at the end of last year, and I mean I think you have to start asking questions. It might be a little simplistic, but you know you have a small quarterback that was sort of the knock on him coming in, and the worry was that he'd wear down, and he's been in, and he hasn't played as well. He's like you said, he's his his favorite Banky is now out uh, yeah. in Hopkins, and uh, you know I think you're just seeing the effect of accumulated. Uh, wear and tear on them a little bit right now and not to say they can't come out of it but uh, i think you know we're looking at now a couple years of evidence that he's uh kind of a front runner guy first half quarterback and when the weather turns and the uh the season gets late and the, and the hits pile up he's starting to uh to feel that a little bit more than other i don't know if it's quarterback or coach though i got the yeah. question on a radio show this week about whether there was anything to the idea that Cliff Kingsbury teams always decline in the second half mm-hmm. which essentially um, was a problem at Texas Tech. Yeah, it was a problem not at Texas just Tech. with Arizona that yeah. Kingsbury's teams always declined in the second half of the season. And my, I said, I honestly don't know. I know nothing about his Texas Tech teams, and I haven't looked closely to see what decline. You know, we'd have to go back and look at the last three years and see what declined for Arizona in each year. Was it the same thing every year, or was it run defense one year and pass defense another year? But there's a good possibility that what we've seen with Arizona over the last three years is just flipping the coin heads three straight years. Right. That it's not really a trend for Kingsbury, but it's worth noting and that this has apparently been an issue back to his college days. Well, at Texas Tech, they also would start the season with, you know, Texas State Kingsville and then wind up playing <laughs> Oklahoma and University of Texas or whatever at the end. So, I mean, that, that's partially part of it there. But uh, yeah, he, his, he did have a reputation of getting figured out as the season war went along uh, and 
you know, that might be something, there might be something to do that in the pros. I'm not hundred percent sure either. I mean, last year, the feeling was that his offensive scheme just got too static yes. in the second half of the year, yeah. but I feel like that's not the criticism this year. The criticism no. this year is the players just not executing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And certainly Kingsbury shouldn't have anything to do with the defense declining. Right. Unless he's just a bad motivator of men. Yeah. And there are people who follow, you know, Belichick, you know, Belichick had a plan for December and a plan yeah. for January. And Andy Reid had a plan for December and a plan for right. January in terms of different things doing with conditions and stuff, conditioning and conditions and stuff like that. And it's possible that Kingsbury doesn't have that. And that might be working in the background of some of the things we see as well. Uh, Jay Molnar 94 asks, how variable are special teams from year to year? Do specialists keep it relatively static like quarterbacks do for offenses? No. Special teams are the most variable thing from year to year, more than defense, more than offense. And the most consistent part of special teams from year to year is punting. Oh. Field goal kickers show almost no consistency. And with kickoffs, it doesn't even matter anymore because the value of kickoffs right. is so small given how many of them are touchbacks at this point, like the value over average is tiny and the value below average is tiny for like, you know, the ex there's no extremes anymore. Right. Yeah. So the one, the most consistent part of year to year that plays the biggest role, like in our projections of special teams is punting. Tucker is an exception, right? Uh, Tucker is a huge exception. Yeah. yeah. Tucker is the greatest kicker of all time. So. Um, Evan McPherson. What, I don't have feels though. Kessel 12 asks, what quarterback could Denver reasonably get who could make an actual difference on the team or at least be the third best quarterback in the AFC West? Well, I mean, you know, if guys are going to be available this offseason, I don't see any reason why Denver doesn't go out and try to trade the farm for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or whoever else might be available and trade this offseason. That's it. I mean, Elway has proven he can do that. Right. He did it with. Well, it's not Elway anymore. It's That's um, true. Pat Payton? It's, it's Peyton. Yeah. But yeah, he can but get up all wooing Aaron Rodgers. They'll they'll bring uh they'll bring in the big gun uh right. sitting off the bench there for yeah. that, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. But beyond that, you go into the sweepstakes for those guys, and maybe you're the front row in the sweepstakes. I don't have a good answer for that, like how you replace Bridgewater slash lock with anything better than that if you don't go after those guys. There's nobody in the draft. I don't think there's anybody in free agency. That's better than what than that. Yeah. No, I don't think you're going to get better than what Bridgewater has been. And I think Bridgewater has been better than expected. So first of all, I'm opening up the passing workbook now, but I'll say, first of all, Bridgewater's depth of target has been much, Higher. much deeper than anybody yeah. ever would have expected from Teddy Bridgewater. And that is, I think, a sign of the idea of keeping him for another year, because the thought was, well, will Bridgewater hold back this offense with Sutton and Judy and Hamler and whatever? And I don't think he has. Bridgewater is 13th in passing DYAR and 12th in DVOA. Some of that is because of the players, the receivers that he has to throw to. But it's not going to be easy to get better than that unless you can get like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. I don't think certainly a rookie that you take in next year's draft isn't going to be better than that. But I think Denver's in a good position to take like a second or third round rookie and have him play behind Bridgewater and Locke. I think there yeah, is one a problem uh, have is Bridgewater's on a one-year contract. They have to resign. Oh, is he? You have right. to resign him. There you go. Well, and uh, yeah, I think there's a thought 
around the league, maybe that Denver is sort of a turnkey operation the way Tampa was a couple of years ago before they got Brady, where you have a great roster, you have an inconsistent quarterback, and if you can replace him with a legend, Super Bowls await. Obviously, the hard part is getting that legend. Uh, but there's some element of that. that I don't think. I don't I, think their defense has as many pieces as the no. Tampa and I, I, don't, I wouldn't put their core. It's got Bradley Chubb. Tampa's either. I'm just saying that that's sort of the sense around the league. They're sort of a, a mini Tampa uh, from a couple of years ago, and you know that could be the piece that gets a Russell Wilson there. Uh, and I think that's what you're hoping for if you're the Broncos. Otherwise, if you just bring in, I don't know, you know, whoever, I mean, even like a Baker Mayfield, let's say he comes available. Is that really a, a market improvement? Is he going to put you over the top? He's not going to be better than, as he said, Mahomes or Herbert in the division, not even better in Carr. So maybe they could get Carr, you know, that might, uh, that might be an interesting move. Interesting. Line yeah, I don't know why, the, I mean, I don't know why the Raiders would move on from him, but I mean, there's been some talk that he might be on the trade block, it's although possible. I doubt they would trade the division. Right? Only Belichick has the balls to trade a quarterback within the division, I guess. Right. Oh, actually, wait, no. Wasn't McNabb traded within the division? Yes, he was. Yeah. He was. Only was Reed and Belichick have the balls to trade a quarterback within the division. Right. Mm -hmm. um, just to, before we go, just to Rob answer a question you sent me before the show we were going to talk about was right. – um, this week has some really lopsided games. The biggest one being Buffalo and Atlanta. Yeah. Because Atlanta is in last place in DVOA. And you asked me, are these like the most or close to the most lopsided games that we've yeah. ever seen? At the this point in the season. By DVOA, right? So I went and looked at weighted DVOA and I looked at week 11 onwards. And actually, these are not close. They're not even close to the biggest cast. Yeah, I didn't think they would be, but okay. The reason why is there are no extremes this year, mm. right? Like Point. most Point. years have a team or two that are better than this year's best teams. Right. And most years have a team or two that are worse than this year's worst team. Mm. So yeah. you're going to end up with one of those teams or both of them involved in the game. If you look all the way back, the biggest mismatch by weighted DVOA is 12 and 1 Washington versus 4 and 9 Phoenix in 1991. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Right? The Washington team that ends up being the best team in DVOA history. DVOA Garlands, yeah. Phoenix was 26th that is year. Is Tom Tupa involved in this game? In I don't know if Tom Tupa, I think that's before Tom Tupa. Yeah. Oh, my um, number two is Jacksonville in 1999 at 12 and one over, uh, sorry, I think 13 and one against uh, two and 12 Cleveland. Mm. When Jacksonville uh, was second and DVOA and weighted DVOA and Cleveland was 31st as an expansion team. Right. Yeah. That was their first year back. Right. And third was week 16 of 2007 with 14 and 0 Patriots against the one in 13 Dolphins. Yeah, I, I thought it, the 2007 Patriots might show up in this little exercise. That, right they're also fourth, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Fourth is when they played the four and seven Ravens in week 13. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that game was close, though, wasn't it? The Ravens gave them a game. Okay, so first of all, the line on 14 and 0 New England against one in 13 Miami. Yeah was 22 and a half points. The record at the time, right? Yep. And uh, Miami covered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they covered. They lost 28 to 7. Big victory. Then and here's the remarkable thing. Of the top 10 mismatches in the second half of the season by weighted DVOA, 
seven of them were covers. Wow. Wow. And the outright right? the Ravens game you just talked about, yeah, the Patriots the only won by three. Yeah, and they needed some nice. help from some weird, like weird penalties at the end of that game. There was uh, like back to back pass interference, roughing calls right at the end that the Ravens went crazy about, as I recall. Yeah. The, the 91 Washington <laughs> only beat Phoenix that week 20 to 14. And wow. I will point out Tom Tupa, the punter, was the quarterback. Was he the quarterback that in 91? The, that, was the, that was the Tom Tupa quarterback year for Phoenix, 1991. Six touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Um, and went back to punting for many years afterwards. Here's another one: 85 Bears at 12 and one Ooh. against the um, Indianapolis Colts, who were, I believe, like one and 12 or two and 11. I, I, I wrote it down wrong here. So uh, Chicago was favored by 19 and a half points. Wow. They only won by seven. <laughs> only won by seven. I thought you were going to say 17. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, make it close. <laughs> Take the and another one is the 1990 Giants mm. in the last week of the year. Asterisk with Jeff Hostetler at quarterback right. instead of Phil Sims. Yeah. Okay. Number one in DVOA, number one going into that week against the one and 14 New England Patriots, mm. who were amazingly not in last place. They were 27th out of 28 teams. <laughs> Giants favored by 14, and they won 13 to 10. No, I think Scott Zolak was quarterbacking that. Yeah, were they? Yeah. And that that is one for an article that I'm writing for ESPN for next week about do teams need to be hot in December to play well in the playoffs? Where the answer is hell no. That 1990 Giants team beat a terrible Patriots team by three points and then went on to win the damn Super Bowl. So yes, yeah. crushed everybody on the path. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one though. Who, who uh, did they? Empty out the bench for that one. Was Parcells' kids playing in that game, or like, <laughs> no, no? From the looks of things, that was the starters. Wow, right. Take the points. Take the points. Yeah. Take Always the take points. the points in this, especially yeah, against defensive-oriented teams like the '90 Giants and '85 so Bears. It, it, yeah. It's interesting. Let's let's ask because we're not going to cover these games on the show tomorrow. But let's finish up the show. Okay, mm. Tampa Bay Jets, thirteen and a half. Do you take right. the points? That's close because the injuries in Tampa Bay. Right, uh, but I, I think I, t- I think I take the points with the Jets. I think I take the points with the Jets too. Um, yeah. their, their DVOA is surprisingly not that bad this year, even oh. if you only use Zach Wilson games on offense. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's like one of these things where Zach Wilson runs around, does some things against Brady, and it's you know the oh the old master young buck have a you know <laughs> great encounter and otherwise meaningless affair late in the year, and you know people start to overrate uh overrate zach because of it and uh you could definitely see them certainly hanging tough and maybe scoring a late touchdown to cover that two touchdown spread i could see that for sure and then here's another one buffalo and atlanta 14 and a half (laughs) that's a lot it was it was 14 when i was finishing my game previews and i said it was going to be a push because Atlanta just finds ways to piss people off. That's the way I feel, too. I feel like I would absolutely take the points because Buffalo is so inconsistent this year, right. and Atlanta is so good at pissing me off. And yeah. they just had their Super Bowl last week a little bit. You know, there's a definite Buffalo uh, come down. Yeah, definite yeah. come down of uh, possibility for the Bills. I want to give you this, though. I want to give you this. I'm finding it right now. The average Falcons' margin of defeat in their losses has been 19.4 points. Yeah, huge. And the average Bills' margin of victory in their wins has been 23.6. So when the Falcons lose, they lose horribly. 
usually to a decent team as opposed to a poop team. And when the Bills do win, they usually crush their opponent. Very I mean, one. despite the DVOA difference, given how inconsistent the Bills are this year, I do not think a Falcons win is out of the realm of possibility. It's really unlikely, right. but the Falcons have been wacky and the Bills have been wackier. <laughs> and you have, you know, you have Matt Ryan, you have Kyle Pitts. I mean, it's not like they're devoid of playmakers. You always That's worry it. about you that. You just name them. Yeah. You just yeah. Well, them. I mean, the good thing That's for the Bills is they have great the, safety. They they got the safeties to cover Pitts, right? That's I mean, right. Michael Hyde and Jordan Poyer is about as good as safety tandem as you have yeah, in the they league. They cover him with safeties. I think they'd probably use a corner on him. I mean, he's not really a tight end, is he? So, well, yeah, that's true. Well, I'd rather, I don't know if I might rather cover him with Micah Hyde than without Tredavious White around using one of those. So just put three dudes on him. I mean, like Matt, uh, Mike alluded to, Atlanta has nobody else. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no excuse to let him open. But the, the the letdown factor for me is why he would take the Falcons here just as a, as a backdoor, you know. All right. So we agree. In the big games this week, take the points. Why not? Falcons will be the first team in history to push at 14 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it. That does it for the Week 17 Ask Us Anything show. Thank you to everybody who has been watching on YouTube and Twitch and uh, giving questions and comments. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully some of you are enjoying afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Don't forget about our $0.99 cents a week offer for FO+. Plus. Get all of our advanced stats and splits going into the playoffs. There may be historical playoff data that you've never seen before on there. Ooh, uh, and um, fantasy projections and picks against the spread, which are actually doing pretty well this year. And tomorrow, join us at 1 p.m. Eastern for the Week 17 preview. It will be Kale Clinton along with me and Mike to talk about all your Week 17 games, or at least seven of them. We will not discuss Buffalo and Atlanta tomorrow. <laughs> been done that does it for today thank you rob thank you mike thank you everybody watching or listening and we will see you tomorrow 1 p.m eastern go Bengals.